Oh, train bag or train good car bag. <laughs> Whoa! Damn it! What? Oh my god! Whoa. Did you say train bad? Spot. Driving. No purchase necessary. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Radio Free. Radio Free. Radio Free Urbanism. Bonjour et bienvenue à la podcast Radio Free Urbanism. Aujourd'hui, uh, je suis Alex Williams et avec moi, on a uh, Nick Laporte. Dis bonjour. Oh, hey, oh. <laughs> AOC Ethan Myers. Hola. Okay, perfect. That's, <laughs> as, uh, that's as much French as they taught me in Montreal. Every person I talk to, I ask them, how would I welcome people onto a podcast? And that's what we got. So welcome to the podcast. Don't worry, the entire rest of this show is going to be in the English language. I apologize for any Francophones who may have gotten excited, although potentially disappointed uh, as well by my level of French. But uh, yes, I'm here with myself, Alex Williams, and Nick Laporte, and Ethan Myers, you guys ready for a good show? Oh, yeah. Hey, uh, Alex, do we have to abide by any Canadian laws regarding uh, recording the podcast in French as well? Yes, actually. <laughs> uh, from now on, because the podcast hosts are 66% uh, Canadian, we are legally required to translate the show into French uh, after every episode. So we'll be doing that from now on, going into the backlog and uh, making sure that we do that to abide by the French language laws that we have in, in Canada, um, supporting bilingualism. Of course, we will also be translating it into multiple regional indigenous languages, as well as other languages uh, from around the world. Uh, depending on the area in which you live, you will be able to access this podcast in Tagalog, uh, Hindi, Urdu, uh, Punjabi, Chinese, Japanese, uh, several African languages. Uh, we're going to just try and make sure that we cover everything. So, uh, yeah. Th thanks, guys. I'm glad you brought that up, Ethan. That is important to let our listeners know. So Beautiful. Uh, <laughs> yeah, to the so, rescue. <laughs> yeah. yeah jo joking aside, we're not actually, actually going to do that. I've learned some people on the internet don't, uh, don't fully grasp sarcasm or can tell when something's absurd. Um, and the world is absurd, but fortunately today we're actually talking about a lot of good news, uh, which delights me. And we're going to start off with, uh, actually we've got a stuff we're up to in about, here. Yeah. I'm, I always yeah. have something yeah. I want to talk about that I've seen yeah, recently. Okay. Okay. Nick, you kick us off. Thank you. So this is something I saw on r slash Vancouver, this subreddit, and somebody had posted about the Lionsgate bridge. And if you don't know, the Lionsgate bridge is one that connects downtown Vancouver through Stanley Park to north slash West Vancouver in the North Shore Mountains. And it's a beautiful bridge. It's been there since I think the, the late 30s it was finished. And it's changed slightly over the years, but generally it's been about the same. And it's three lanes. So it's two lanes in each direction and a flex lane that will change depending on the traffic needs of the day. And somebody had suggested that they cut down trees in the park because much of it you know, the approach to the bridge is through this dense park, Stanley Park. It's a crown jewel of our city. It's incredible. They, mm -hmm. they, they suggested not only should we cut down trees, but why didn't we do it sooner because of all the trees they're cutting down right now? And that was their general uh, post. And the reason why they're cutting down so many trees right now is because there's these moths that are infesting the forest and they need to get rid of these trees to prevent it from spreading. And that's the problem. But mm -hmm. it just didn't make any sense in the first place. But the point I wanted to bring this up was the absolute volume of people who who just trolled this guy. 
some people were very straight up, but just the the amount of one more lane bro post, it filled my heart up. I was like, people get it. Like this stuff, people are understanding this stuff. So to see that in the r slash Vancouver was good because a lot of the time there's quite a lot of car brained posts in 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 r slash Vancouver. So it was really nice to see. Yeah, yeah. I was just go. I just wanted to say that I, this stuff is actually spreading. People are understanding the basics of this stuff. I think that's one of the very, you know, low totem pole items that we talk about is induced mm-hmm. demand. So it was at least good to see that. That's all I wanted to say. Remain calm, folks. We are becoming in control. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is It is great news. And you see it uh, You see it more and more people kind of realizing this. My sister mentioned it to me the other day. She said, she says, what have you done, Alex? I can't unsee this stuff. Like once, once you start realizing, oh, like if we just make a bigger parking lot, we're going to build a bigger road. But then we're going to need a bigger parking lot. And then there's nothing there anyways. And now we who wants to go there anyways? Right. Like cars, cars are not a solution to the to the issue. They're a solution to very, very, very few niche issues. Uh, but exactly. we've completely overused them. And people are starting to realize that, which is great. Yeah. There's the, the the niche issue. Well, actually, it's not a niche issue, but it's an issue that everybody goes through every day is hauling 500 pounds of concrete 60 miles away. Yeah. I mean, how are you <laughs> supposed to do that on transit or bike? God. But for real, folks, besides the sarcasm there, it really is spreading. I even I literally just got this text back from my parents. They're on vacation right now. And they just sent a text to me yesterday saying, I understand why we need more bus lanes in our cities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And, and it, it's, I think it's also um, becoming less and less of a political thing, right? Like it's not a political stance to, to want public transit. It's not a political stance to want bus lanes and to want like, you know, the strong towns arguments, right? To want a city that is able to function without, you know, losing its money. Right. Um and yeah, people are waking up to it. So it feels good. It feels fulfilling to, you know, uh, the people have awoken, the people have awoken. (laughs) Uh, yeah. And actually, uh, people have been awakening in kind of an interesting thing. Uh, there's, there's a celebrity, uh, recently, you may have heard of her, Taylor Swift. Uh, she's been doing, Nick's never heard of her. He's got poor taste in music apparently, but she's been doing her big eras tour. Is it her? I think it's her eras tour. It's been going on she's for been de- doing like this decades. Tour. Alex, we are going to be killed by the Swifties now <laughs> hey, because you said. I'm doing my best. I'm That's going to be best. clipped out of context and we are so over. It's so over for the show now. Hey, hey listen, everybody. I know the names of very few musical we artists. We are okay, okay with Taylor Swift here. Please do not we, kill us, Swifties. No, no, we're not just okay with Taylor Swift. We are fans of Taylor Swift. Um, especially because she, kind of inadvertently, uh, is bringing uh, a good spotlight to Melbourne's uh, good planning. Uh, I found this article. It's from The Independent in the UK. And uh, it says, Americans are confused by aerial view of Melbourne Stadium hosting Eras Tour. See, it is the Eras Tour, guys. No parking lots. So let me uh, let me share my screen here. I want to show people an overhead view of of what we're of what we're looking at here. If you are if you are listening to this or watching this on YouTube, you can follow along with us here. But yeah, so as you can see there there's 
not really a ton of parking in the area. I understand there are some parking structures like parkades in the area. There's also apparently some parking underground, but there is not 96,000 parking spots here for everybody to to make use of. So I think this is this is a huge thing. And I want to highlight this is this is Taylor Swift's. These are her most recent performances in Melbourne. And uh, and this is where her uh, her boyfriend was was play or I guess he wasn't playing here. But this is the Kansas City where the Kansas City Chiefs played. The Super Bowl was in Vegas, but this is where the Kansas City Chiefs played. My so God. I just thought that was like an interesting <laughs> comparison of, like, of what we're you know, doing. If I had a dollar for every time <laughs> that Arrowhead Stadium aerial shot showed up on Radio Free Urbanism, I would have two dollars. Yeah, we did look <laughs> at it last week. <laughs> it's insane. It, it is absolutely mind blowing. Uh, so, yeah, I thought that was like a really great thing to highlight. Like everybody's like, but how how did they how did they get there? It's like, well, there's trains <laughs> like this is always a funny question, too, as well, because these stadiums that have trains are actually not exclusive to everywhere that's not in the U in North America, because there are plenty of stadiums in North America that mm -hmm. are easy to get to by transit. Mm -hmm. BC place. Anybody? Hello. Wrigley Field, <laughs> Fenway Park. Yeah. It, uh, okay. The Calgary Saddle Dome. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. I did that one. Yeah. Madison Square Garden. Oh, man. Literally over Penn Station. Do you have a top 10 list? Ethan yet about uh not yet I made one for the NFL but uh we're gonna have to go with MLB next right. because there are a lot of really really accessible urbanist MLB stadiums oh, yeah. like that's great crazy amount absolutely yeah one of my favorites too uh, well even some <laughs> of them that lead to you can actually use like for example uh what's what's Shea Stadium's is it City Field now City Field yeah, yeah. very reachable Seven. with the MTA but also mm -hmm. Surrounded by like massive parking lots, it's it's got both things going on there. But <laughs> oh, it's the same thing with uh, Chicago's other stadium too. Uh, I think it's called Guaranteed Rate right now, but it's also called Comiskey Park. But yeah, it's right off the red line. It's right off Metro Service as well too. But yeah, it's surrounded by a sea of parking. Yeah. Okay. For the record, <laughs> I need to say I am a fan of Taylor Swift. I have been for quite a long time, actually. I'm not embarrassed to say it. Um. But my wife and her friend are going to be seeing her in Amsterdam. I'm going with them, but I don't have a ticket. It's really it's bummed me out a little bit. But being in Amsterdam is definitely going to soothe that, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. would be awesome. <laughs> but this is incredible. I love this aerial shot. I've watched it a million times now. Like I saw it the other day when it was on on Reddit or something. And I was just like, this is, this is fucking amazing. But the train line beside this stadium is, is massive. It's not just a line. Obviously there's like so many lines beside the station or this uh, yeah. stadium. It's, it's crazy. It's incredible. For our folks listening in online, it's uh, like four tracks over here. Is it four? Yeah. I think it's four. Oh. It might be six for the station. Oh, it's got but... chain. Okay. The station changes. I see. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. So they'll have more um, platforms or I mean, tracks for the platforms. But gotcha. OK, I think the main line there is four tracks. Yeah, It just looks super yeah. wide right there. That makes sense. OK. But what a shot. That's great. Yeah, yeah. it's it, insane access. Australia has some really great like regional rail and then like local transit for its five cities. And then mm -hmm. connecting those cities is non-existent. I think. um I think we're going to have to take a field trip to Australia. 
And folks, you can help support this field trip by contributing to our Patreon, which we just opened up two weeks or two weeks ago, two weeks I ago. think, at this point. I think so. So, yeah, we have a few different tiers there. And if you want to support us over there, we have some basic benefits. More stuff coming soon, but, you know, nothing's nothing's set in stone. We're still kind of testing out the waters. But if you enjoy the show and you want to support it, the link is down below. Yeah, you can join Austin Serson in the comments. He said he's very lonely in there, so yeah <laughs> make your voices heard Guy, go go keep austin company over on the over on the patreon and and maybe maybe we should all be a little bit more active on think, on there too absolutely um, oh, absolutely yeah but uh yeah so so that can help support our trip to australia where we can go and discover some beautiful urbanism but australia isn't the only place that we've got some good news coming out of Nick's got some good news from the uh, incredible place, Canada. Incredible place, Canada. Yeah, that's that's BC here over in British Columbia. So this is something I was going to talk about last week, but it got cut from the show. But it's there's been further development, so we're going to get into it now. So the federal government has allocated $2 billion to support BC Builds, a novel initiative designed to construct thousands of rental units on underutilized public land, specifically for middle-income earners. That's been announced by Justin... Trudeau is that alongside that plan, BC builds, is that they're going to give this $2 billion of funding. So that's for the creation of 8,000 to 10,000 new homes. And this contribution supplements the additional $2 billion in low-cost provincial financing aimed at accelerating affordable rental projects on lands owned by the government, communities, and nonprofits, as well as $950 million committed uh, to seek – just make, make this all easier. Make this more – expedited. That's the point. So this BC builds thing is what I was going to talk about last week. And this program aims to not only lower construction costs through favorable government borrowing rates and grants, but also to expedite the approval process to complete projects within 12 to 18 months. That's incredibly quick. So that's uh, 20 sites are already identified as potential construction areas and the initiative assure ensures that new homes will be accessible to families based on their income striving to limit rent to no more than 30 percent of their income which is pretty crazy so yeah this is something I, I when i first heard i think it was on february 13th news came out about bc builds and this is another just facet to what's happening here in bc on a provincial level is that david eb he's our premier basically like a governor has been moving in different ways to make housing more affordable. And this is not something that's going to be changed overnight. It's going to take a while. But we talked about in the past, many episodes ago, about the TODs, the transit-oriented developments, where they would intensify developments around transit stops. That's rapid transit stops for buses, but also the SkyTrain stops to intensify and densify those areas to make housing more affordable. And again, it's going to be five to 10 years before we might start seeing those effects along with other things that they're doing. So this one is specifically aimed at middle earners, but it didn't it, it, like it didn't specify exactly what that is. Like, what is what's the what's the price? Like, what's the number? Like, how much are you making to qualify for that? I don't know yet. And I don't think it's said in this article. So I'm curious to see what that actually is. Because I, I don't know what's what's like a median income these days. I feel like it's it's really gone up a bit. Or it makes certain jobs that might have been well-paying in the past seem like you're not really doing as well as you used to be. Inflation's a problem. Mm -hmm. But anyway, mm -hmm. what do you guys think about this? Well, apparently the median income in Canada is $41,650. Um, 
that's what that's what this random Google search says. So I, that's not me diving deep, guys. So if that's wrong, <laughs> it's not on me. I just want to couch it in that source um, Google. Source Google. <laughs> source Google. First first selection up there. Um, yeah, I think I. I mean, I think this is fantastic. I think it's great that we're actually seeing things happening with this instead of being like, oh my goodness, what should we do? What should we do to solve the housing crisis? I mean, even like even this $2 billion, like this is like a drop in the bucket. This isn't going to solve all of our problems. Yeah. And this is like a long, long process. Uh, I wanted to kind of piggyback off of this announcement and mention as well, like the uh, federal government just today um, on February 21st, when we're recording this, announced $175 million for affordable housing in Edmonton, Alberta. And uh, and last year, at the, at the end of the year, um, with the passing of Calgary's housing strategy, the federal government uh, committed $228 million to Calgary uh, to, to build affordable housing. So there are like there are these things kind of dropping in the bucket, but this is like, this is one tool in, in the toolkit. So it's, it's something and that's great, but there's so much more that we need to do. And it's not just, uh, it's not just the, you know, this one level of government that needs to do things there. Everybody needs to be participating, I think, in, in solving this crisis because it is a crisis and it's affecting everybody and it's affecting people, you know, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that, Alex. Um, solving the housing crisis really is not going to be a one-step solution, nor is any problem problem really a one-step solution. It's going to take pressure from all different sides to really force housing prices to come down to an affordable level for most Americans and Canadians, because I, as much as America suffers from this problem of housing affordability, I know Canada Canadian cities are even worse off than a lot of American cities when it comes to affording rent and utilities and other things like that. But building new housing, basically just putting pressure on all sides of making existing housing more affordable, building more affordable housing, building more market rate housing, encouraging more development of it is all going to put pressure to bring down rents overall. And mm -hmm. if we can do that in any way that we can, whether it's small steps, big steps, any step that we can take at the moment to get more towards affordable housing is always going to be a win. Yeah. Yeah. It's a yes. And yes. And thing um, to kind of add to what we're talking about here. I also wanted to mention um, a project that was just announced today in Calgary. And that is uh, two city of Calgary owned sites to be turned into transitional housing. Um, and both of these sites are right at uh, LRT station. One uh, one is at the Whitehorn LRT station and one is at uh, at the Fish Creek Lacombe station. Um, so these are these are another two two sites that are going to be developed. I think the total number of houses for each of these, I think it totals at like um, like a hundred more homes or something like that but they're they're going to be townhomes uh right at train stations so it's uh it's more more progress what do you think um nick like being being in bc uh what do you see this two billion dollars doing like how effective do you think that's gonna be in in helping with our crisis here 
again, it's like you said, it's a drop in the bucket. It's one tiny piece of the puzzle to help solve the housing crisis. Like, like I said, the TODs, but also an, another step they took earlier this year was eliminating short-term rentals, or at least trying to reduce short-term rentals. That's Airbnbs and stuff like that to only people in primary residence able to rent out a portion of their home to people. And I saw immediately that that had an effect. I saw houses that were, I, I knew were basically the whole house was for rent on Airbnb or Verbo or what is it? VRBO or whatever. Mm-hmm. Immediately sign goes up up front for rent, stuff like that. So it's, it's one piece of the puzzle. It's 10,000 homes. Is that what they're saying at the top end for the $2 billion? That's not a lot. It's not a lot in the, in the grand scheme yeah. of things, right? That's going to house what? Somewhere between 20, 25,000 yeah. people. And yeah. That's that's BC. That's not Van- like yeah. in Vancouver, our population's over what? 600,000 here in Vancouver proper. We're talking about the entire province, which I think the population is somewhere in, what is it? Two to 3 million, something like that. I don't even know. Uh, but yeah. yeah, it's a small piece to the, to the puzzle. But it, again, it's, it's all going to help. It's going to help in some yeah. way or another. And I think also doing it in a way where this is much like we've talked about with co-op housing in the past, something that's popular, quote unquote, popular in BC compared to other provinces in the country. It's something where we have a controlled rent that's actually market tested so that it's not people getting gouged for, you know, their living expenses, which is, which is great. It helps people actually make ends meet, be able to afford the food on their table. And I think helps make a more prosperous community, which is great. It is great. Yeah. Ethan, did you have some, something to add? Uh, no, I mean, realistically, it's just you have to basically just do everything that you can to kind of lower rents. I mean, if people can't afford to live in places, you're going to start seeing people move to places that they can't afford. And that's yeah. going to cause, you know, a labor, a, a drain on your labor pool in the area. And it's really it's going to cause a whole cascading effect of problems that you just don't want your city to have. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I'm glad to see things happening um, with with that. Uh, but of course, housing isn't the only thing that we care about. We also love trains like a lot. We love trains a lot here. Uh, <laughs> Big fan. And, yeah, huge fan. <laughs> And Ethan is our resident train expert. So Ethan's going to take us through the the, uh, resident foamer. So folks (laughs) in the U S we actually had not just one. I know I only put it, we have show notes folks. I only put one in for these two guys to see, but we actually had three different um, train agencies basically get new or get orders for new trains in the first one being M.MTA in Baltimore Their light rail system a few months ago had a bit of an issue when it came to operations. By a bit of an issue, I mean one of their trains quite literally had an explosion on board. But luckily, they got $213 million to replace their old, I think, 35, 40-year-old LRVs, um, which it stands for light rail vehicle. So the Baltimore light rail is going to be getting a whole new fleet of light rail. Um... There is a service between Dallas and Fort Worth, Texas called Trinity Rail Express, and they are getting five new engines for their trains there. It's not a huge service, but they are their trains that they have at the moment, their locomotives are getting long in the tooth and they will be getting five new ones. The most important to me, though, is that Metra, the regional rail agency for the Chicagoland area, ordered, I believe, eight or 12 Stadler flirts, which are battery electric multiple units. 
And what this means is that they draw power from electric batteries and use that to power a whole multiple unit, which is basically, for those who don't know, when you think of a train conventionally, you have a locomotive which provides all the power and it's pulling cars. Think of a multiple unit as combining those two, basically having the power in the car. Hmm. So, essentially, what Metro did is they ordered these things basically to say, hey, we're going to be testing out zero emissions battery battery electric units. And these are kind of mildly controversial, to say the least. Um, most people, when it comes to electric trains, would prefer overhead wires mm-hmm. for operations. It just makes service that much easier. However, the problem that people have with battery electric units is that they tend to not have the range that people really desire. But what I could see Metro doing with these battery electric units is running them here. I'll share my screen really quick here. Um, But I believe the plan is to run it on a short little section of this track called the Rock Island Line. So if you can see this spur right here that kind of branches off between Mm -hmm. uh, Blue Island and I believe this is Gresham, the plan would be to just run the trains here because the short, the very short stop spacing. I believe that their plan is to use these battery electric trains to just go up and down this route here because the benefit that you get with b- multiple units is that they can start and stop a lot better than your standard locomotive pulling train cars. Which is where I think people, where I think it's really exciting to see this. Not to mention, Metra has been one of those agencies that really hasn't modernized in the mo- in the past few decades. They've really been kind of stuck with old trains and stuff like that. And it's just overall, as someone who grew up taking these trains all the time, very exciting to see them even trying some sort of modernization. But what do you guys think about this? Any uh, any comments on this? Oh God, I'm so uh, <laughs> such a noob with trains. I'm like, I don't know. I was like. Wow, how do the sky trains work here? I don't know. Like they don't have overhead wires. Is there like a third I rail? I believe that sky I think sky trains are third rail. Okay. I'll, have they to, must I'll be. have to look that up. Yeah. I okay. So somebody actually asked me. They they in my comments, they asked what my favorite train is or like what my favorite train company or no, they asked what my favorite bus was. And I was like <laughs> I was like, I don't know, like the the brands or the whatever right i know when i get on a bus like what seat layout i prefer and what you know what kind of material on the seats i prefer and i like it when it has the pull string instead of just the buttons you know like (laughs) so i'm like that's what i know about transit right like i don't know the super specifics about the vehicles one thing i'm wondering about this because um, like the the spot you showed us on a map with that short stop spacing, yeah. it didn't look like that was like very regional, right? Like that looked like it was passing through neighborhoods, right? Like there was oh, housing yeah. all along there, right? Um, it wasn't now, leaving the city or anything. But then yeah. these trains have like locomotives at the front, not just like, you know, not like when you go on like a, a train in New York or Montreal or whatever, or, you know, there's the train at the front, like where the driver sits, but it's not like, and here we have the engine, right? Yeah. Like, so I, I'm kind of wondering what exactly this type of train is, like what purpose does it serve? And is it well suited to this? Cause I, it might be, I don't, 
I don't know really anything about this stuff. So, folks, um, we have a little bit of a map here of the Chicago area. Um, most of these lines that you'll see is a mix of CTA and Metra. Hmm. And CTA is the L. It is the basically the metro system for Chicago. It is like the equivalent of the New York subway, the Vancouver Skytrain, the um, the TTC subway. It's that equivalent there. Now, what you have in the back, when I say metro, I'm talking more or less like the Canada equivalent of the GO train. So it's hmm. covering your regional rail. And I'm sure you guys already know that. I, I, I just I. Just trying to cover all bases here. The idea for this here, though, is just this short little section of the Rock Island line is just kind of like it. I believe it actually generates quite a bit of ridership for the line itself. Hmm. I think that the issue, the thing that Metro wants to do is focus less on being a commuter rail agency that focuses on the nine to five commuter and more of a regional rail agency that focuses on actually getting people not just from the city to down or from downtown to the suburbs back to downtown, but to accommodate more trips, you know, in different directions for anybody. Right. Right. And I believe what they're doing with these battery electric units is not so much a full on investment in them, but more or less like a test to see how they can get them to work in the now, get more, more, more modern rolling stock out now rather than having to wait on, you know, having to go full jumping in. I think this is more or less like dipping their toes into the idea of running um, multiple units rather than just running train like normal locomotive style service because Metra has been using the same rolling stock for their trains. Rolling stock just basically means the entire like, like train car and locomotive together. They've been using essentially the same thing for the past 45, 50 years. Oh, okay. Like there have been some updates to them, but a lot of them are still very, they're getting very long in the tooth. And there have been some issues with updating the service, mainly due to um, mechanics not wanting to work on anything other than the current stuff that they're working on. Because, hey, if you have a whole team that knows what they're working on, and then you suddenly switch it up, then you're going to cause a lot of issues with that. Hmm. But I think that their main goal here is to essentially dip their toes into modernizing stepping out of their comfort zone and really just seeing what they can do to actually improve service. So Metra as an agency has actually been going through a lot of modernization. They modernized their whole ticketing service and they're also working on installing um, like full on like led displays for like train arrival times. Hmm. So they're, they're really a service that was kind of stuck in the past for a long while. And I think that this is just like a step in moving on with that modernization that's cool. Um, and you also, so of course, thanks for that explanation of like what is going on here with these. Um, you mentioned as well to me before we started the show that these also have those like wire catcher things on the top of, what were those yeah, called again? So those things are called catenaries. And what they'll okay. do is they essentially, here, I'll, I'll get a, I'll get an image of a, uh, they're called an overhead catenary for, um, but uh, you'll see these on um, on streetcars, on high speed rail. You'll see this for basically any electrified service. But um, here, let's just use a let's just use a lovely little model here. I've been jumping between sharing my screen and everything today. Yeah, <laughs> and, a pro. And flawlessly too. I know. So here's just a very basic model of an overhead catenary wire. 
Um, but yeah, that's just kind of a demonstration of what they are and what that does. Well, I mean, that's the wire, but we'll see if we can actually get a photo here of uh, the actual catenary. Here we go. Here's one. So what this does is it essentially I'm, I'm don't don't count me as the expert on this one, but this is essentially how the train gets power to drive its internal engine to power the train. Right, right. This Basically, is its wired this, connection. Yes, this induce this induces motion. This is like plugging your phone into a charger, essentially. And at the moment, they're only they're building they're planning to build the multiple units with these catenaries to charge the batteries. But right. what that means is that in the future, if battery electric really isn't working out well for Metra, they still have the opportunity to put up wires in the future and then power their service by wire. Right, right. And I guess there there are, you know, different pros and cons to to each system, right? Like a battery yeah. doesn't require you installing all this extra infrastructure because it costs money to put up those wires and the oh, yeah. poles and you know. And all then of you that. also have to you also have to get around freight railroads who really aren't big fans of them, but Right, exactly. Like you have to figure out like where can you put it, which I guess is maybe a benefit of having uh, a system, uh, a locomotive that has both a battery and the catenary, because oh, yeah. then if if for whatever reason a portion of the track is on a shared shared right of way and they're unable to put up the wires, then they have the battery to get them through that portion, and then on the portions where maybe they own the right of way or they've been able to put up that infrastructure, then they're able to make use of the current. Um, rather than relying solely on the battery. Obviously, I think the best case scenario is probably just having catenary power the whole way through because batteries weigh a, weigh a ton or more. Uh, and so, so, but they also we cost also, the infrastructure up front. So, yeah. They also don't just have, they just don't have the storage for a lot of these longer lines. Some of these lines can get up to 50 to 60 miles outside of the city and right. when you're just accounting that and you're doing a return trip on that as well, that's over 120 miles of service. And I don't exactly know how much storage these batteries have yet, but I'm pretty sure that 120 miles is going to take up a decent amount of that charge on there. Yeah, where are they going to yeah. charge it? That's what I want to know. Is So they're going to – I believe they're going to modernize their yards to actually modernize for some sort of charging systems to be implemented there. Huh. Um at least um, Metra has one line that's electrified, but it's really – it's kind of weird and it's definitely a strange line when it comes to it. But Chicago's rail is – it's in a very interesting situation because it has a ton of trackage. The problem is is that everybody wants to use that trackage. It's not just Metra. It's Amtrak. It's every single freight railroad under the sun. And in order to get any sort of you know modernization of this system, you're going to have to play nice with the railroads. Right, right. Which isn't a fun thing. Yeah. But we'll see. At least at least the rolling stock is getting modernized, and that's going to be huge for ridership perception. Because at the moment, here, let me let me pull up, before we move on, let me pull up a wonderful image of what Metra is currently operating on their systems. Because I can say, you know, like, what they're using, like, by my mouth. And obviously the people who are listening to this on Spotify can hear that and look it up themselves. But for our YouTube our YouTube viewers, let me just show you uh, what, are, what Chicago is currently dealing with in terms of Metra. 
These are the uh, gallery cars, um, and oh. most of them are very old. Um, they've gotten refurbishments, but they are definitely from an older design, um, like mid-20th century kind of stainless steel. You can see, obviously, they'll get their renovations. I want to see if we can get an interior shot of these things, because that's where they really look dated. But here we go. Um, yeah, so that's mm. what the interior of a Metra train car looks like. Um, not exactly the most modern. And the Stadler flirts are very modern. I was actually in one th this summer in uh, Redlands, California. It's going mm. to be a very nice thing to change the perception of riders. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And so um, one, one thing for people to remember, too, is that uh, these systems tend to go through cycles of it's brand new it's very very nice and then it gets old and it like and it does degrade a little bit and you're kind of like oh it's just not as nice why can't we have nice things and then it gets that refresh um and and that refresh will also eventually get old being able to constantly maintain like the perfect trains and the perfect infrastructure it that just doesn't happen like the bottom line is is that some things are going to age and some things are going to age better than other things that's why you take care of your stuff but uh but it's important to remember that these things go through cycles and uh and so maybe it's a good thing that we've got a lot of old and outdated things because maybe that means that we're just about to get a bunch of new and nice things <laughs> what a perspective that's, that's great i love that that is a very optimistic perspective <laughs> Let's uh, hope for our Chicagoland riders <laughs> that they can have some lovely flirts, join their fleet, and you know, enjoy some modern rail. I oh man, I hope I hope so bad. Um, but alas, we've got some listener mail to get to here, and I want to say uh, before we get reading this, if you want to email into us, you can do so at radiofreeurbanism at gmail .com. You can also comment on the YouTube video or comment on our Patreon page. We check it all, and uh, we try and include as much as we can. Uh, it's getting to the point, which this is a good problem to have, where we can't read everybody's listener mail, uh, but we uh, we do do our best. Uh, so we're going to hop into that. This first one, I'll take this one. Um, this is coming from Andrew, who's writing in. He's writing in from Montgomery County, Maryland, in the heart of the future Purple Line Corridor. He says, in the spirit of Alex's transit tracker, I thought I'd share my own. Cycling is my primary form of transportation, and I track both the car miles I've taken off the road and the money I save on both gas and other payments. These other payments might include the cost of parking or the cost of an Uber. I also used to track how many other bike commuters I see on the roads, but it's becoming too common of an occurrence for me to keep track. I've been doing this for a few years, and not only is it a great reminder of the climate and financial impacts of cycling, but also it's nostalgic to, to look back on. Um, I thought that was a that was a pretty nice email we got. Uh, my so what he's talking about there is I got rid of my car about six eight months ago now, and uh, I've been tracking how I get everywhere, how much I pay to get everywhere, uh, and and how long it takes and what mode of transportation I use. And at the end of my first year being car free, I'm going to kind of tally everything up and see how much money I've saved. 
um, how much extra time I've spent in transportation. That's going to kind of be an interesting one. So I don't have good data on what it was like beforehand. Um, and then I'll also be able to see um, just kind of like how I got around, like how often did I take the bus versus cycling and for what trips and why and, and all of that stuff. Um, so it's, it's some interesting data. And I kind of like what Andrew mentions here that it's a little bit nostalgic. You kind of look back on it. And you're like, wow, I've been I've been doing this for a while. Um, so yeah, thanks for the uh, thanks for the email, uh, Andrew on on that. I appreciate that. I'm also curious what the purple line corridor is. Do you know anything about that, Ethan? Um, it's I believe it's Wamata's, which is the DC Metro's um, project oh, okay. on basically kind of making a outer line in Northern Maryland. Um, it's got, it's, it's a whole in-depth issue. It's, I believe it's supposed to be light rail if I'm not mistaken, but it's, man, it's definitely, it's definitely a project that highlights some of the, um, some of the odd priorities of Maryland. All right. Well, a future topic for the podcast, I guess, is oh, talking yeah. about Wamata's uh, purple line. Um, if somebody, Ethan, you've got, uh, do you want to take this, this next comment? <laughs> Let's roll into it. All right. This next comment is from Reese. And they said in episode 10, someone said something about how you guys are trying to justify urban renewal. And one of you guys was saying no to that. I was just kind of confused. What is urban renewal and why would you be against it? Urban renewal sounds good. And I think I'm missing something here. So, well, Reese, you, um, you might be missing something here, and I don't blame you. It's always great to educate people when it comes to, you know, urbanism terminology and a little bit of history and things like that. So you, I'm going um, yeah. to read the definition here. I'll start there. I'll just do that, and then I'll let you continue. But here's the definition. Urban renewal is a process where privately owned properties within a designated renewal area are purchased or taken by eminent domain by a municipal redevelopment authority, raised, and then reconveyed to selected developers who devote them to other uses. And so, Reese, on a lot of occasions when it came to urban renewal throughout the 20th century, um, urban renewal was often used to basically tear down poor and disenfranchised neighborhoods, usually for people of color, and then repurpose them into, you know, things like highways or just straight up parking lots. There are some other things, too, that urban renewal was done for. Um, stadiums were big ones, um, monuments, other things like that. But essentially, it was tearing down, you know, people who couldn't really exactly say no to having their homes take tear, homes and neighborhoods torn down and then replaced with things that would divide these neighborhoods, take away generational wealth. You know, just just overall not a good thing. It's a very deceptive term that sounds very nice. Urban renewal, like, oh, we're renewing this area. We're going to make it better. Because it does sound like that. It does sound like it's a good thing. But then you kind of get underneath the surface of it, and it's like, oh, that's 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 problematic. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of it, like, this is, this is a big reason, um, like, for uh, our car dependency in Canada and the United States is this is this process and uh of just like tearing down whole neighborhoods uh recently i've been looking at some aerial imagery of calgary where i live and uh 
and realizing like how many homes have been torn down in Calgary. It's not something we talk about as much in Canada, especially because it's not as big of an issue in Canada. Like it did not happen as much in Canada as it did in the US. But I've noticed every now and then when I'm looking through these different panels, uh, looking at when different neighborhoods were built and when different infrastructure was built, noticing just how many homes were actually uh, destroyed. So I have a few things I want to look into with that and look at what the process uh, was was like for those for those families and those and their homes um, that uh, that are just they're gone now. They're asphalt. They're pavement. Um, yeah. So yeah, a good. That's a. It's a good question because it is. Uh, it, it does sound positive. Um, it is a great question, and I and I really think a lot of the times we just kind of have to go back to the basics and let people know. You know, kind of the. A lot of the basic terminology behind urbanism, because I think that this community, as much as it's growing, it likes to keep moving on to bigger and bigger ideas. But sometimes you just got to keep hammering down the basics, you know, because not everybody is a well-seasoned urbanist who knows what TODs and urban renewal and, you know, um, uh, trying to remember some other terms. But, yeah, <laughs> not everybody's going to have that burned into their brain. So, you know, it's always great to educate people when it comes to the to the terminology and, you know linguist or linguistics of urbanism well and i i think different people come to urbanism from from different uh perspectives and different places um for me largely it was like just noticing how much space parking lots took up and being like hey, wait a second like what a waste of space there's got to be a better land use than than parking lots uh for a lot of other people it's like an environmentalism thing Right. Being able to create greener cities with trees and stuff like that, like Ethan here. Right. Uh, for some people, it's just because they like trains. And uh, for other people, it's uh, it's a financial thing. They're worried about their city's finances. Um, so it, different people come at it from different perspectives. And so we're all going to have like a different familiarity. Um, yeah. And urban renewal, I feel like, is a term that a lot of people who come at, into this with like uh with like a social justice kind of background particular around racial issues uh they'll be a lot more familiar with with that term right like we're all learning new things all the time so um is there another term for this you know there's a lot of vernacular in the vernacular of urbanism we've changed a lot of the speech that we use now for example we say car accidents instead we say you know road violence right vehicular um. violence I believe changed? the original term for a lot of it was back in the day. It was referred to as slum removal, okay. slum clearance. Um, mm -hmm. Other than that, I think urban renewal was just kind of brought up to make it sound a lot more positive. Totally. Yeah, I'm just thinking right, about the more it. modern way to approach that. You know, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. I don't. We could call it. Um, you could call it urban removal. Yeah, <laughs> that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's pretty. Wild. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks for thanks for that. that um, great, great question, Reese. Uh, do you want to take this one from Walter Nick? Yeah, sure. This is uh, like uh, Alex just said from Walter, one of our one of our fans who sends us awesome emails. Uh, he says, "I wanted to ask you all about your how you navigate biking and transit. Very soon, I will be getting my college admission decisions, and I'm hoping to go to university next year." However, where I currently live isn't feasible for me to do any anything but drive, so I have. 
little biking or transit experience. So he's got a bunch of questions in here. Oh my. <laughs> How did you <laughs> first do get the it? first let's do the first paragraph and then the second paragraph is kind of a different okay. topic. So we'll do that after. How do you first get into biking and taking transit where you live? How do you recommend learning about bike and transit routes? What are what are the unknown courtesies of biking on roadways or paths? How can I learn to maintain my bike? Should I get an e-bike or a normal bike? That is a that's jam packed. That's a lot of questions. <laughs> Those are good questions. That could be. Those, yeah, they're all yeah. good questions. I'll tackle. I'll tackle one of them to start, and it's going to be the last one because I feel like that's one that I, I'm well versed in. But should I get an e bike or a normal bike? That's a question I hear from a lot of people. And the que- the an- to answer that, first off, is you have to know where you're going to live and what it's going to be like. Second mm-hmm. of all, what are your, how far are you going to go? Are there hills? You know, is it, uh, do you, can you store it in your apartment or not? Stuff like that. But generally it's going to come down to which one do you like riding more? And I mm-hmm. recommend you trying both and you're probably going to like an e-bike better. And then the next question is, can you afford it? And the answer is maybe, but probably yes. Cause it's going to be a lot cheaper than buying a car. Um, <laughs> I would say get an e-bike, but then again, I'm just a guy who just bought a, you know, acoustic bike again recently and not an e-bike but uh yeah there's, there's so many factors to get into that that I, you can't even answer in one thing it's it's going to be depending on your own situation and what kind of things in your commute that that you're going to need for that but an e-bike they're they're great and i think the one reason that tips a scale i say just get an e-bike is that people who get e-bikes ride more and that's that yeah so yeah yeah i think e-bikes are kind of like that that's like a car replacement yeah Right. Like if you get an yeah. e-bike, that's like uh, dep- obviously also depending where you live and how much you need to carry and get around with and whatever. Right. Uh, and also somebody, what kind of e-bike? And what kind of e-bike? Yeah. Um, yeah so so I mean, those, those are questions to consider. Uh, but e-bike like, man, if if you can afford it and if you have somewhere to store it. Uh, it's so every it. every day of the week <laughs> I'd get I'd get an e-bike. I do like, like, I like my regular bike, but like, I know, I know for a fact that I would ride an e-bike every single day um, because it's just, it's just more comfortable. Like it's better and it's faster. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'm going to answer a different question um, that Walter pro- proposed here. Um, they, you know, they asked, how do you recommend learning about bike and transit routes? Um, biking is for me, I've always found it really, really hard to find resources that really tell you like the different bike infrastructure, since there's so much different types of bike infrastructure, it can range so wildly. And I don't Mm -hmm. think any of the mapping apps really do a great job of that. And I think a lot of the time you really just kind of got to go out there and just kind of see it for yourself. Like, obviously I don't recommend riding in traffic on your first ride. Like that's, that's just crazy. But, um, if it's legal, I would recommend at least, well, not, not that I was going to recommend biking on the sidewalk, but if you can walk the route before you actually ride it, it can actually be very beneficial to do that, to actually see like what infrastructure you're dealing with. Um, but once you start getting a little more comfortable, sometimes it can get a lot easier to actually ride on the infrastructure while it's changing Mm -hmm. when you become more adept at riding. Um, but in terms of transit, you can most of the mapping apps are at least okay for it. I'm gonna recommend Transit. It's literally just an app called Transit. They're kind of a smaller team. They're really cool. I think some of their teams. I think they're actually based out of Montreal. I think so. But um, 
yeah, they actually reached out to me. They're really great. I use it all the time for live bus updates, but it'll show you all your local bus routes when their um leave or when their departure times are and stuff like that. Local bus routes, any transit routes that you have, and it's it's a really intuitive, very helpful app when it comes to finding out about transit. Yeah, the the apps are great, but I'd also just say write it like go go and experiment like on a day when you've got some time go and see what it's like similar to what you would do with a bike route is just familiarize yourself with it um just to kind of be like okay i know which bus i need to catch and as you get into it you'll be surprised by how quickly you adapt i you know i was driving for 10 years and i very seldom took transit i'd only ever take transit if i was heading downtown and uh and even then it was just i'd drive to the train station and take the train in um but then after getting rid of my car now i take transit almost every day i'm just very used to it now like that's just that's just how i get around um so you'll be surprised how quickly you you would you adapt to it yeah it's Um, really it's again mm -hmm. it's like exploring if you just go and explore and try things that's the best way you're going to learn but before you do that what you can do is use google So they have, for example, if this is talking about cycling, for example, is they have a cycling overlay. There's a a little, you know, drop down menu and you can hit cycling. It'll show you all the different cycling infrastructure. And usually it's pretty accurate. But the problem it has is that so for someone like me, I suffer for some with some color blindness. So I have a hard time differentiating certain colors that are very similar sometimes. And I think I think when it's a dedicated separated cycle lane, it's like a black line. But when it's a bike painted bike lane, usually it's just like a greenish line. And sometimes I can't tell the difference, um, but and it has dotted lines for local bike routes or sharrows and stuff. Mm. And I usually find that the sharrow roads are better than just the, the have the green line painted roads because the painted roads are usually, you know, uh, door zone pike bike lanes or gutter bike lanes. And those are my least favorite. They're oh, terrible. I went for a ride out to Deep Cove recently and I looked on the map. And there was the green line. I think it was a green line. It was a gutter bike lane along a a street that was 60 kilometers per hour. And as you can imagine, cars were driving like 80 kilometers per hour, like a foot from you. It's, it's super uncomfortable. It's not fun, but you have to see sometimes what it's like. I ended up riding on the sidewalk because nobody was walking there and I felt much safer. So, and I can tell you guys right now too, is that this will vary by city as well. Like Vancouver, Mm -hmm. a city that's a bit better known for bicycle infrastructure Definitely going to have, you know, Sharrows might be the better option when it comes to it, like yeah. actual like slow streets, because, you know, I lived in Florida and I've lived on streets that had Sharrows and said 25 miles an hour. And if you get on there on a bike and everybody that you notice in a car is going 40 miles an hour and you're like, oh, OK, um, this is uh, death. Yeah, this is death. Oh, even you here, can't... they're bad. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I got a speed gun. I've been out there on those local bike routes. People are going over 50. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. it's insane. Yeah. Um, before before we move on to Walter's next portion here, I just wanted to quickly give mention to uh, two other questions he had, uh, which are, what are the unknown courtesies of biking on roadways or paths? Um, I'd say check locally because different places kind of have a different culture around what they do with that. But generally, use your bell, maintain a line, you know, respect people, pay attention. Um, watch out then, for stuff in the bike lane and don't yeah, ride abreast yeah. if it's busy come on man <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh and then also how can i learn to maintain my bike um that is something i am 
learning myself. I, I personally uh, go to Austin Serson, who's a, a listener of the show and regular writer. He, he helps, uh, he helps me maintain my bike. Um, so I'd, I'd find somebody that, you know, to kind of help, help you walk through things and mm-hmm. show you, show you what they, they do. And YouTube, Austin YouTube. will very likely be in the comments below on this. So if you want to find his channel, he'll be right down there. Yeah, I was going to yeah, say actually. YouTube's a great, great resource too. Um, but also look locally. Your local bike shop might have courses. I know here in Vancouver, again, you know, this we're talking about Vancouver, but Hub Cycling, they're an organization that advocates for cycling. They have courses for bike maintenance as well. So you might have something local to you that where you can actually go in person and learn how to maintain a bike. Yeah, yeah. And they'll show you on your bike. Yeah. Uh, which is, which is great. Uh, Nick, do you want to read the rest of, um, Walter's email here? Yeah. In a previous episode, you discussed that you wouldn't want to work in city planning or a similar field for your city because it might restrict your ability as an advocate. I'm hoping to study environmental policy and urban planning in college to get a public sector job. How do you think planners slash other city employees can still personally contribute to their communities in ways that aren't going to be limited? Okay, I've got something to talk about. So I was, we had another meeting, Strong Towns Vancouver last night, and a few people who were there are urban planners. Uh, and I got to talk to them about this, about this. And there we go. That's just an example. They're, they went to an organization, a private organization, and actually that was a way for them to help, to advocate and help an organization push things that they're interested in making their city better. That's an example, I suppose. That's from for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's just social media. That's the only thing is that it it's really big when it comes to, you know, your um, just your, you know, personal applications and stuff like that, even just in the private sector, too. But, um, yeah, I mean, generally, you can you can still have influence at your job, you know, like it's it's not the end of the world. Like, even if you're still an urbanist, you can still. Yeah. As Nick said, attend meetings, still consume the content online as well. Yeah. And um, see if you can apply it in your job. But, you know, it doesn't have to be in the, you know, online urbanist space like this. Because yeah. there are ways to make changes without making a podcast or video content, too. Well, and also, like, as as an urban planner, you're not just, like, communicating your desires to the people that get to be in the room. Like, you are in the room, right? You're writing things up and you're participating in those discussions and those conversations at work. And yeah, since we had that conversation on the show, I've been thinking a lot about it. And I'm kind of like, well, may- maybe I was like, too, um, too much like, no, I would never do that. What you know, because it's it's a really important job. And it's a really important position. And I think it's also kind of a privileged position to get to be able to participate in that decision making. Um, I like decision-making. I just think that I like, um, you know, making YouTube videos and saying things offhand on my podcast a little bit more. Um, so I, I kind of, I, I think it's, it's, you, you still have so many opportunities to make a difference and, uh, and to actually write documents that nerds like us will read. Um, so, so I think that's fantastic that that's, that's what you're uh that's what you're looking into um so yeah th- thanks for the email walter we've got a, a couple more listener mails we, we've we got gotta a lot keep this rolling week, on but folks yeah let's uh <laughs> let, let's keep going here if you want to take this one ethan 
Yep, this one comes to us from Sean Troy, and they said, I love following along with the places you mentioned on Google Maps. What location in your city is ready for redevelopment? Rezoning, TOD, mixed use, etc. And how would you upgrade it? Oh, yeah, this is great. Oh, there's so many. <laughs> what, you where, go, where can we not? Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to share my map. So in Vancouver, if you're not familiar, look, look, uh, look at a map. Maybe I'll share mine. You know, I'm going to share my map here. So downtown Vancouver is like a peninsula, right? And at the South part of the peninsula, there's actually, it's a beautiful spot. It's called false Creek. You might've seen science world. If you've seen a picture of Vancouver, you've probably, uh, seen, seen science world. And in this area, there's, there's a section just east of the Rogers Arena. That's where the Vancouver Canucks hockey team play and also BC place. There's this area right, right east of there. And what you'll find are a bunch of viaducts, the Georgia viaduct. And I think this is, what is this? I can't remember what this one is. What's this one go from? I don't know the streets downtown very well. Anyway, there's viaducts well, there. Highway one. I guess it technically well, is. Yeah. Anyway, that one, yeah, that one goes, that's the one that, hey, if you continue going down, you'll end up going across that bridge we talked about earlier that way, the Lionsgate. But anyway, this area here, right here, just uh, southeast of the hockey arena and the BC place, which is where the Taylor Swift's going to be in, you know, eight months. Anyway, <laughs> it's basically a giant parking lot <laughs> for a small portion of the year. It's used for Cirque du Soleil. They set up a big tent which is, it's actually a great event. It's awesome. But that area and also these viaducts, they're even talking about getting rid of these viaducts and turning this into a development. But this is the area that I would want to be developed. So if you look straight south of there, down False Creek is what's called Olympic Village. And this part used to be all industrial. And that was redeveloped right before the 2010 Vancouver Olympic Games. And now it's a really nice community. There's stores in there. There's restaurants. It's absolutely lovely. It's a really nice place to visit. And obviously it's a really nice place to go along the seawall to ride, ride your bike or go for a walk. It's, 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 it's a gem of the city for sure. So I think it's time that they redevelop the North part of that, because again, like I said, most of that is parking lots. I think there's a small skate skate park in there. There's also a small area here that's been developed. That's kind of like a nice quiet park, but generally it's parking. And I think that needs to be redeveloped. I love it. I would, I, love it. I would redevelop that. I, I will go down there with you, Nick, and redevelop that area. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. Getting into construction, I see. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what about you, Ethan? You got anywhere in mind? Um, I have somewhere in mind. Uh here, let me just pull it up on screen. What's it called? Tell us. So this area is just outside of the main downtown of Las Vegas. Uh, you might think of Las Vegas Boulevard, the Vegas Strip. It's a little bit down over here. Which this is where all the casinos are. But if you go up north of it, you'll see this area. And this is downtown Las Vegas. This is like where Las Vegas really started out. And Fremont Street right here is actually a full-on pedestrianized area, and this is still a very touristy area. But the area right over here called Fremont East actually has some really nice businesses and stuff like that. But if you look in, there is a whole ton of space in between these narrow blocks that is just straight up empty service parking lots. And these empty surface parking lots are also flanked by some of the easiest, most simple land to develop possible with frequent bus routes right through here. Like there's bus service every 10 to 15 minutes to get to other parts of the city. Wow. And so I think that this would be the easiest area to turn into TOD because it's already somewhat developed. But you have all of these empty lots over here too. Like Fremont East is one of the 
it's one of the coolest like areas of the city. It's always a risk going into street view on here. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but, uh, if you can see it's, oh. it's, it's full on old Vegas. Like cool. you have yeah. all these like wonderful businesses down here, but there's just no housing over here. And if you were to actually start building some apartments over here, you could, you know, attract some younger residents to live here, locals to frequent businesses as well, not just tourists but you know you'd also you know have that tod development and then more encouragement for transit in the downtown yeah i that's I, just my argument yeah no no i'm uh i'm right there with you and i think we'll be taking taking a field trip to fremont street to start that redevelopment <laughs> soon uh as, yeah, as for mine this is a really great this is really a great question um, cause we've all got, uh, we've all got some places picked out. I actually have a map showing the, the places where I, uh, where I have picked out. You can see here is my map showing up for you guys. Oh yeah. Yep. Um, so I've got highlighted in orange. First of all, all of the cloud trail, <laughs> <laughs> the whole, the whole thing It is one big strode. Um, I've got like Mount Royal university area, signal Hill, uh, Quarry Park, uh, COP, up by the university, there's a bunch of stuff. Like, basically anywhere that I'm like, that's a massive parking lot. But uh, let me show you guys one very specific place that I personally, um, that I personally, like, need to see redeveloped because it is just, it's it's kind of one of, one of, like, the formative places where I was like, what are we doing here? And so let me let me share the screen again here. I guess this episode really demonstrates to people listening on their podcatcher to uh, to watch us on YouTube. Honestly, <laughs> it's it's worth it. We we've been doing a lot of screen sharing. We've been today. doing a lot of visual stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this here is the uh, this is near where I grew up. I grew up right over here on Presswick Boulevard. Um, which was actually, this was a nice community. Mackenzie Town was a great community to grow up in. But then you have this massive area here. And this shopping area that you can kind of clearly see picked out on the screen here, this is 56 city blocks. Those are Calgary city blocks. Every city has like a different measurement. Oh but 56 God. city blocks. This is huge, like massive. Look at these massive parking lots. You've got a Walmart here, a Superstore, Canadian Tire, Home Depot. There's an Indigo right over here. Uh, Winners, Marshalls, Lowe's, like everything. Let me plop us down in street view here so you can, Please don't. can oh God. check this out. It oh is just this massive <laughs> shopping. Look at this just absolute, God. absolute Look at nonsense. this power center. It looks yeah. like... Every strode in in Canada to me, like <laughs> this it is, just looks so familiar. It's that so bad. This is one of the worst uh, four way stops in the whole city. Is right That's in here. That's a four way stop. That was a four way stop right there. But look, look at this just massive parking lot. Don't you look at that and just think, mm, like I could turn that into some beautiful housing. Like this is just absolutely, absolutely bananas here. Um, yeah. So I, this is, this is my, uh, this is my place of, of choice. This is where I would want to redevelop it. It's 56 city blocks. And here's the thing. Okay. Here's like the best part about this is it's right beside 
uh, one of our city's landfills. Okay, this is the landfill here. And uh, actually, they're building like solar farms and stuff on some of this filled in land, which is great. Calgary is a super sunny place. So that's a great use of use of that land. But because of this, um, you could actually build just like in this one corner here, you could just build as tall as you want because the shadow will only be cast on the landfill because that's north of it. So all of these communities down here, they're to the south and you could sell it to them as this is actually going to be a, uh, a, a brilliant wall to, to block you from any like smell that might waft over from the dump. Right. So that's, uh, that's how I'm presenting this 56 city blocks. You keep all the shopping, you move the big box stores closer to the road, and then you have parkades underground. So people who feel like they still, they still need their car to go pick up whatever they can still do that. But the whole rest of the area car free, that is my, uh, that is my transit oriented development of choice. And this actually is getting a train station. Uh, the construction on the train line is starting this year um, to to this area. And that's actually where the transit depot is going to be. So it's going to be a major activity hub for transit already. So I th- it's a no-brainer, guys. It is absolutely All right, let's make no-brainer. it happen. Let's call city council yeah. right, right now. Wall, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So we've got... One one more comment, Nick. You want to take this one yeah. from Jen? This is from uh, Halls Emporium, friend of the show. She says, thanks for the compliments this week. Well, guess what? This week again, you get another one. Thank you so much for, for your wonderful questions. We got one more here. This is from, like I said, Halls Emporium. What is one of your everyday carry accessories from for your favorite form of transportation? Interesting. What is one every carry thing you have? Hmm. I oh. I was thinking about You're this one week. every carry thing every day. Well, carry. It's simple. It's the pass to get on board. <laughs> my phone. <laughs> you have a lot of passes. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, mine is my phone. <laughs> honestly, honestly, that, that I mean, that's got my transit pass on it. It also like when I when I am taking the bus, that's that's uh, that's what I occupy my time with often. Whether whether it's writing a script or scrolling Reddit. Um, yeah. No yeah. phone. Phone would be me too. Um, yeah, because normally I don't. I, I usually use my phone just for convenience to like, like folks. It's just so easy to pay with your phone through transit apps and stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, it's phone, and if I'm not in my own city, then it's, it's a lovely, it's a lovely transit pass. You know, any one of these ones will do. I'm gonna. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, apart from the basics, on a, biking is probably my my go to my favorite way of transportation is a light. I always have a light, even if it's the middle yeah. of the day in the morning. I mm-hmm. bring a light because a you should have daytime running lights on your bike. Yeah. Super helpful. Drivers mm-hmm. are looking for lights, right? If somebody's riding around in their car without their lights on, it's even a little bit sketch too, right? Um, but especially good if you're out and it gets dark to have a light. Because the worst is you, you got your phone, you still got your phone and you got your light and you're like trying to hold your phone as you're biking and, <laughs> and make yourself be Have seen. you done that? Oh, I've done that. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I feel like I decided to go ham when I was living in Florida and I had like two additional lights on top of my already built in light to my e-bike. Oh, yeah. So I felt like I was doing like the Ford F-150 like blinding, blinding light thing. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I did. Bikes. 
I did blind somebody with my bike light once. Just the angle we were coming at each other. We were like kind of on a hill. Yeah. And uh, and I, I kind of blinded them with my light. So as, so as soon as I saw them turn the corner, I like pointed my light down. So that it's like high beams. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They are like, yeah, get, get decent lights. I'd say for cycling. Yeah. My, my lights. That's a that's a good pick. Yeah. And, and most lights ball. that you can buy these days, they have like a cutoff. So it's kind of the beam is flat at the top. So it's mm-hmm. nice and easy to keep the angle relatively low so that people aren't getting blinded. But that's going to happen from time to time. Yeah. 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 That's great. Great questions today, actually. We got some really like insightful listener mail that, I don't know. The people came think. in with the good questions. Yeah. 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 So so You, the again, viewer, came in clutch today. Yeah. So you are much appreciated. Keep it coming. Yeah, keep it coming. Uh, you can leave a comment on the YouTube video. You can also uh, leave leave us an email at radiofreeurbanism at gmail.com. And I should say, leave us a review too. We, we'd love to get some nice, snazzy five-star reviews or one-star reviews. Nothing in between, please and thank you. Um, yeah, extremism only. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's not a that's not a call to action. That's that's just uh, we're talking specifically we when get it comes over to the reviews. hour mark and Alex is yeah. calling for extremism. It's well <laughs> in reviews very specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we'll just cut that out of context. <laughs> well, they they thanks for everybody writing in today. Uh, thanks to my co-hosts Ethan and Nick. Uh, this has been a great episode. Thanks to Ben. I got to say big thanks to Ben for coming in clutch last week. Absolutely. I'm a little bit Absolutely. jealous that I didn't get to be on the show. I'm a big fan of his his channel and and the videos he he makes over there. But we'll yeah, thanks back. to Ben for for We'll coming have more in. guests on the way too. Yeah. Yeah, I we we do actually, which is exciting. I'm looking forward to those. Um but uh yeah, I'll be back with my regular setup next week. Don't worry if this if this mic wasn't good, it's my laptop mic. I'm sorry, guys. Um, as you can see, I'm not in Calgary. I'm somewhere that has greenery in the middle of the winter. Um, but uh, yeah, this is this has been delightful. Wow, thanks. Thanks for being here, guys. Uh, Ethan, where can we find you? Folks, you can find me over at Climate and Transit everywhere except for Twitter, which is just at Climate Transit. Nick, where the, where can the people find you? You can find me at Nick Laporte on YouTube or Nick the Door in other places. And Alex, where can the people find you? Well, <laughs> thanks for asking. Uh, the people can find me at Humane Cities uh, wherever I happen to be. Uh, so thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And, Humane uh, Cities we... on, live, on MySpace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I happen to not be there, but uh, damn, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll make it account. We'll see. We'll see. Still there. But thanks for everybody <laughs> tuning in. Uh, that's going to be our show for this week. Uh, thanks. Oh, train bag. Or train good car bag. <laughs> Whoa, damn it. What? Oh, my God. Whoa. Did you say train bad? What happened? Oh, my goodness. No, 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 no. This no, has no. been Ethan's last day on He's the show. Out. I hope you all enjoyed him. Wow. Milli- millions <laughs> all right, try, millions of people try are again. suffering. Try again, Ethan. All right, all right, all right. Here we go. Here we go. Train good and car bad. Thanks for listening, folks. Two wheels good. <laughs> and feet first. This show is made possible by listeners like you. For more episodes, find us on your favorite podcatcher or on YouTube at Radio Free Urbanism. 